Welcome to episode 290 of Live Happy Now. It's no secret that here at Live Happy, we're big fans of positivity. So what's all this talk about toxic positivity? This is your host, Paula Phelps, and this week we've invited author and therapist Dr. Lauren Cook to talk about this new backlash to positivity. Toxic positivity is a form of happiness that can actually damage personal and professional relationships. So Lauren is here to explain what it is, why it's so harmful to us and our loved ones, and what we can do to overcome it. Lauren, welcome to Live Happy Now. Paula, thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad I get to be here with you today. Yeah, this is something I wish we had been able to talk about sooner, but we're talking about it now because obviously we are big fans of positivity here. So I was really intrigued when I heard about toxic positivity and I wondered to start this off, can you explain what you mean when you say toxic positivity? Yes. So toxic positivity, it's definitely been making the rounds on social media right now. It's a very hashtagable word, if you will. But essentially, it's this idea of it often comes from a really good place when we're trying to say something positive to a person. But especially when a person is in a place of pain or suffering, that really can be received as invalidating or hurtful or dismissive. And so toxic positivity is this notion of almost being blind to the suffering that someone may be going through. And and I want to be really clear on this point, because when we try and come at something from a frame of positivity, 9.9 times out of 10, it comes from the best of intentions. There is no malicious intent here. But for the person receiving that, who's in that state of pain and suffering, it can really feel invalidating. And, and for some, it can even induce a feeling of, of shame. That's where this sense of toxic positivity has really been coming full front, especially, I think, in light of this year. Yeah. And so I think before we dig in, it's really important to point out that you are not anti-positivity. <laughs> like, oh, you, heck no. Are you, you integrate? Yeah, go ahead. Tell us kind of, you integrate things like positive psychology and gratitude and neuroscience into your practice. Yeah. So how has using those tools and those practices, how did that help you identify toxic positivity? Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny, I I actually say I'm a reformed happiness expert. because (laughs) You know, for the past six plus years, I pretty much talked solely on happiness. In fact, I had a whole brand called the sunny girl, and I would wear yellow when I would speak. I mean, I was the happiness girl. And I still love talking about happiness. I think there's such an important place for it. But what I was really seeing as I was speaking and researching happiness and positive psychology is that especially for people who are going through difficult experiences in their life, you almost see the color drain from their face because happiness, I think, often gets portrayed as almost kind of one dimensional. And we don't always make light of the fact of, hey, as we have happiness, we also have pain in our lives, too. And we've got to be able to acknowledge the full authentic experience of that. There's not just the happy slice of pie. We've got to take the whole emotional pie, including the times when we feel disappointed, sad, frustrated, hurt, scared. All of those feelings make for a wholehearted, authentic human experience. And so my work has evolved to trying to help people shift to not only integrate more joy and positivity in their life, but also make room for the pain and the suffering in their life too, to not push that aside. And I think that's where we really see toxic positivity come to play right now is that there's almost a happiness burnout right now coming right. from people of, hey, there's got to be room for my pain to be seen and heard and acknowledged. 
Yeah, well, there's a woman that I met and she has a platform where she she's a widow and she talks about grief. And I saw a, a pretty abrasive video from her where she was kind of railing against what she calls the cult of positivity. Oh. And so we do kind of see this where people resent the positivity that we're trying to bring into the world. And maybe it's misinterpreted, as you say, it's misinterpreted as being too sunny side up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think the thing that's hard about that is, and, and like I was saying earlier, the positivity, it comes from the best of intentions, right? I mean, there are such good things that come out of positive psychology research and really connecting with what brings us joy in our lives. But for some people, especially if you're going through a hard time, you can see the eye roll coming a mile away. You know, <laughs> you can <Like>, hear it. <laughs> what are, are you going to tell me now, right? And what's really sad about that is that that message of positivity then goes completely unheard. And so how can we instead sit by someone, sit next to them in their suffering? I think Renee Brown does a beautiful job of talking about going into someone's cave and just sitting with them rather than trying to pull them up with your ladder, right? Instead, you know, getting comfortable with them in the cave. And then when we're ready, we'll come up out of that place. But I think making it safe for people to really share how they're actually doing and not just put that that smile on their face, I think that really creates a, a sense of comfort for people where then they can feel like, oh, let me exhale and share with you my true self. Yeah. And as you said right now, this has been such a tough year. And so mm-hmm. it's really important for people to be able to feel those feelings and feel free to share those feelings without knowing that someone isn't going to say, but look at the bright side. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So, but what about, uh, you know, there's, I know people who are just naturally, they do see the the glasses always half full. Mm-hmm. And for those people, it's kind of hard to understand why someone else wouldn't want to cheer up. You know, it's like, well, I'm just trying to cheer them up. But what is the danger in trying to always do that for people? Right. It's so hard because... I love the Enneagram, right? And our Enneagram seven friends are like that. They just want to bring a smile to everybody's face. And that is such a gift that people have to bring laughter, bring joy. We need those people in our lives. So I definitely don't want people to hear this message of tone down your shine. I want everybody (laughs) to feel like they can shine bright fully, completely. But, you know, I think sometimes when people hear that message of just put a smile on your face or... Even the most common one I hear is, hey, everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah. Ooh, that one, you know, to, for example, a mother who's lost her child or a family who just lost their home in a fire, they're going to come back and say, you know, I don't really see the reason here for why this happened, especially as that pain is so immediate and raw and fresh. And so when we can slow ourselves down, And really get into a place of how can I listen? How can I just sit with you and listen? Rather than try and tell you something to help you feel better or go into fix-it mode, how can I instead just be with you in this space and bear witness to your pain? And that often alleviates so much of the tension and the sadness and stress people feel because they don't feel like they have to filter it anymore. They can just simply be. And often I find this is when people become more connected than ever before because we can be really vulnerable. It's safe now to share that we're not okay. Mm -hmm. And right now, like when someone knows that they can do that, then they're going to 
be able to delve deeper into their own feelings. It's not just what they share with us. It's like that we're now giving them permission to go a little deeper and a little darker and plumb through some of those feelings that they might have been afraid to explore. 100%. And really, you know, this is when people can actually start to get effective help. Because a lot of times when we feel like we have to just grin and bear it, or we feel like someone's uncomfortable with us sharing our suffering, this is when people really internalize and go inward, and they don't share that they need help. And this is when symptoms actually get worse. You know, I work as a therapist in my day to day. And you know, this is unfortunately, I think sometimes when we can even see things like unexpected suicides, mm-hmm. because people maybe didn't feel like they could share it or that people didn't want to hear it. And if we can really create an environment of, hey, it's okay for you to share if you're suffering, I think that's a good thing because then we can help people get help sooner and more effectively. Yeah. And and so if you have someone or if you are someone who is naturally optimistic, who has that hopefulness gene. How do you know the difference if you're that way? How do you know the difference between whether you're being optimistic or practicing toxic positivity? What is there some kind of gauge? What, you know, it's going to be tough. It's tough for people who just naturally respond that way. Right. Such a good question. I think the best thing we can do is actually check in with people as how did that land with you? How did that feel for you when I said that to you? We hardly ever do that of human beings (laughs) talking about how our communication is actually received. But if we can do that process work of, hey, how did that feel when I said that to you? Or tell me how you're feeling as we're talking about this. Doing that gauge, that that check-in, that really opens the door for people to share, you know, I'm really feeling hurt or, oh, you know, I'm not sure if maybe you're getting it in this moment. When we open the door and make safety for people to give feedback over how they receive our sentiments, which I realize is scary to do, that's when we can really have those corrective learning experiences of, oh, okay, this worked well for this person. Ooh, maybe this wasn't received so well. And how do we repair our relationship? Because the worst thing that happens, right, is when we share something, it's not received well, and then that person just turns away from us and we don't have further communication or further relationship with them. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that we actually check in with how people are receiving our support. And is it more difficult to do right now because a lot of our checking in is virtual? Mm -hmm. I think no matter what, whether it's virtual or in person, it requires a level of vulnerability. And I really believe that especially in the last few years as social media has just taken off, we've become increasingly afraid to be vulnerable with one another. And I think this is why we turn to numbing behavior sometimes, right? Of going on Instagram or, or Facebook binges or, you know, Netflix binges or, or actual food binges, right? <laughs> because we're losing that ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We call that distress tolerance. And really, as we work through these difficult conversations with people who are suffering and going through a hard time, we're really essentially talking about how to tap into distress tolerance of willingness to be uncomfortable. And sometimes toxic positivity comes from a place of, ooh, this feels uncomfortable for me. So I'm going to say something that tries to make you feel better and tries to make me feel better. But if we can do that work to actually get a little comfy being uncomfortable, I think we're going to start to see that our relationships reach a new level of honesty and vulnerability. Well, how do we 
do that? How do we develop that skill of becoming comfortable with that discomfort? Because you don't want to see your best friend, a loved one, whomever in pain. And you do, it's like, oh my gosh, if I could just, if I could just cheer you up, <laughs> make you feel better, I would feel better. So yeah, how, I could just feel like. How do you develop that skill? I'm a huge proponent of mindfulness. And I know, you know, live happy and positive psychology. There's such an advocacy for mindfulness, right? Of being in the here and now, being in the present moment, and really learning how to sit with all the feelings. Even the movie Inside Out, I'm such an advocate of that movie. Oh my gosh, it's so good because it really teaches us that we can sit with whatever feelings that we're having. These feelings don't last forever. I'm also a really big proponent of what we call dialectical thinking. And the notion behind dialectical thinking is really tapping into a both and perspective. And this is great for our friends who are maybe sitting here today being like, ooh, maybe I do some toxic positivity. (laughs) So what's really great about dialectical work is that you can hold optimism, hope for the future, and you can hold realism and sadness and pain for the present. It doesn't have to be either or. And I think a lot of times we think that it is like I'm either happy or I'm sad, but we can actually hold multiple emotions at once. And when we make room for that framework and that complexity and that nuance, it really opens up our interactions with people. So again, practicing that mindfulness, just being in this here and now moment and listening to what the other person is sharing. I think that's a good place to start. And it's something we can use on ourselves, like not just when dealing with other people's pain. We can kind of use it for ourselves. Is that true? Because I know if I'm feeling down, my nature is to try to like, come on, boost myself. <laughs> like, you know, it's, but I'm going to talk myself out of feeling bad. But so it's the same technique that we can use on ourselves. Is that correct? Yes, completely. You know, I was feeling this the other day, you know, I don't know if it was the Thanksgiving break or what, but I was feeling totally down. And I'm the same way, Paula. I like to, you know, I tend to be on the happy side. So I I was kind of like, what's going on with me? And we almost get into this, what we call meta worrying, where if we start feeling sad, we start freaking out about that, right? Of like, oh my gosh, why am I feeling this way? This isn't okay. And instead, slowing ourselves down and saying, okay, what's the sadness about? Where's this coming from? I can sit with this. And also saying to myself, you know what? This isn't going to last forever. This pain that I'm in, I'm acknowledging it. But I also know, hey, in an hour, I may be feeling totally different. And I think that's when feelings start to feel less threatening, when we know that our sadness and even our joy, they're temporary fleeting feelings that's the way the human brain and body works. And that that tends to have an effect where it doesn't hold as much power over us. Absolutely. Yeah. I knew a therapist who she would say, you know, when people would say, I don't know why I'm sad. She would say, well, do you ever wake up and you're just happy and you don't know why? And they're like, yes. And she's like, do you question why? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and she said, same thing. We have emotions. We have things going on. And you don't always have to be on this cloud nine. It's going to change, just as you said. I love that. Yeah. So right now, you know, people are dealing with so many different emotions. And you use mindfulness as a technique to kind of walk through those. Are there some other things? Because we have, on top of everything else, now we have the holidays coming up. And it's looking like they're not going to be what we expected again. So how do we kind of get through this next couple of weeks, get through this holiday season and be with our feelings Mm -hmm. and do it in a healthy way? 
I'm a really big proponent of grounding work. And grounding is essentially helping us experience our feelings somatically, bringing ourselves back into our bodies. So much of the time we're so in our heads, right? We're so just running with our thoughts. But grounding is about actually physically checking in. What am I noticing in my body right now? And how do I bring myself into this present moment? One of my favorite ways to practice grounding is through our senses, sight, sound, touch, taste, smell. And the holidays is one of my favorite times to practice grounding because there's so much good stuff around us to really tap into. So whether it's, you know, maybe you bake those Christmas cookies that you love to bake and really being present as you're mixing the dough and decorating, bringing yourself into that present moment. Those are so, so key. I also think this time of year, one of the best coping things we can do is tapping into our sense of nostalgia because our memories, when we recall happy, feel-good memories, it brings those feelings into the here and now. And especially for those of us who are feeling sad, understandably so, this time of year, I really invite listeners to tap back into the things that bring you nostalgia during the holidays and allow those feel-good memories to come back for you. Know that it's probably not going to be the same, but you can still identify with, oh, that feeling of maybe decorating the tree or putting up the lights. Those are ways that we can help ourselves cope and really, again, bring us back into the body with those grounding exercises, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and we do know that the holidays anyway are a difficult time for people in a normal situation with depression and things like that. So at what point, you know, we touched on this earlier in the podcast where you mentioned, you know, people, we do have suicides and things like that, where people feel like they can't share. At what point is it, you know, it might be crossing the line where I can sit with this feeling or, okay, I need to get help. Yeah. I often talk about what I call the four D's of distress. And I think these are really key to pay attention to. People ask me all the time, what's the difference between having the holiday blues and having depression or just feeling really stressed out versus, you know, having anxiety? Four D's of distress to tune into. One, the first D is distress. Are you worried about it? Are you getting that feeling where you're like, ooh, this is not normal for me? Second is deviation. Is it out of the usual realm for you? Maybe this time of year you do get a little bit of sad, but you're noticing, ooh, I'm having trouble getting out of bed. Or I notice I'm, I usually love to send my Christmas cards and I'm not doing that this year. What's going on there? The third thing to pay attention to is dysfunction. So if you're having trouble showing up to work or you're no longer reaching out to friends, that's something to pay attention to. And the last D is what we call, you know, danger. If you're feeling unsafe, if you're having thoughts of hurting yourself or thoughts of hurting others, those are all signs of, "Mm, you know what, it's time to, to get some professional help and get some support. That's really good because that's that's good for all of us to know because we can watch for it in our friends, our loved ones, as well as watching it in our own lives. So, of course, and that brings us back to the toxic positivity that we can't just kind of try to happy our way out of this situation. So let's talk a little bit about maybe your best tools for as we go through the holiday keeping that balance and making sure that we don't slip back into toxic positivity. Right, exactly. Well, again, coming back to that dialectical framework, right, of the both and. Our holiday experience this year is going to be multidimensional, and we should just expect and prepare for that. It's going to probably feel very bittersweet this year, where we're likely going to experience 
a profound sense of gratitude, right? Maybe more than ever before for the people we have in our lives and just how far we've come this year. But there's also likely going to be such a sense of loss and not just a loss of what the holidays look like, but the loss of 2020, especially as we near the culmination of this year. And so I think we should just mentally prepare for that. I think that's really key so that it doesn't take us by surprise. That ties into my second recommendation for people is to structure your time over the holiday season. You know, sometimes these feelings can kind of take us by surprise. And if we can plan out what we want to do to stay engaged, especially socially, we know socialization is so, so important for our mental health. It's really going to help us cope with this holiday season. But to the point of toxic positivity, I think it's really key that we tune in of, hey, am I acknowledging my sadness that I'm feeling? Or am I just trying to watch every Christmas movie under the sun and it's making me more and more sad as I go? Or am I ignoring that look that I see on my family member's face at the dinner table? And I can, I can visibly see that they're in pain and I'm just going to keep singing my Christmas carols. That's a sign of, okay, maybe I'm ignoring the pain of my loved ones. And this is actually a beautiful opportunity this holiday season to get real with people, to invite them, whether it's virtually or in person, to really sit down, let's have a cup of hot cocoa or eggnog together, and really talk about how we're doing, to go beyond the small talk and to go beyond the, the festive cheer. There's room for that too, but to really get real with people. And you can do that by creating a safe space. That's how we move past toxic positivity. Yeah. And we've got a lot to talk about this year. I mean, everybody has their own disappointments, hurts, losses that they're dealing with. So mm -hmm. it's not like we're going to run out of topics <laughs> if we start getting into those with our relatives or friends. No, no. And, you know, that's not to say, too, that, you know, we need to become Miss Debbie Downer either, right? Where we only talk about the negative. I, I certainly don't want people to hear that being the message either but merely tapping into the both and, right? Room for joy and room for sadness. That's excellent. Well, when I come back, I'm going to tell the listeners how they can find your page. We'll give them some links so they can get directly to you from our webpage. But Lauren, thank you for coming on and talking about this. This is an interesting topic and I think it's one that we'll be looking at for a while now. Sounds good. Take good care, Paula. If you'd like to learn more about Lauren or this topic, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. <laughs>